You're listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby, Director of Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. This is the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. Good evening, everybody. It is so wonderful to be back here at Muslim Mondays. I want to welcome some of our new participants who are here. Last week, we discussed the difference between knowing what's right and doing what's right. Just because you know something doesn't mean that you actually do it. We know that we shouldn't speed, but does that mean we don't speed? We know that we shouldn't insult somebody else, but does that mean that we don't insult them? We know that we shouldn't be arrogant, but does that mean that this is what the Ramchal, the, 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 the author of Moshe Chaim Lotzato, that's what he writes right in the introduction to his book is that you know everything I'm about to tell you. You know it all. But because you know it so much, you don't remember it. It becomes so common that you don't even notice it. You don't pay attention to it. So the Ramchal tells us here something amazing. You could know something, and it could be so clear to you, but you still don't act with that knowledge in your in your... Okay, so let's give an example. Does anybody here think that it's a good idea to be arrogant? No. We all know. We, none of us, I don't know, does anybody like a person who is arrogant? It's a very, it's a very unlikable trait. We all know people who are arrogant. And yet, when it comes to showing off and to boasting about our accomplishments, we have no problem being that same arrogant person that we know is a terrible thing, a terrible trait for one to possess. Kindness. Kindness is is a great trait. And we all know that it's a fantastic attribute for one to be kind and to be giving. And yet there are times that one may feel, I'm not in the mood of giving right now. I'm not in the mood. So what the Ramchal is telling us is that we all have things that we know we should be doing or should not be doing. And just because we have that knowledge doesn't mean we actually put it into action. And that's why, if you remember, we discussed last week that he uses a double terminology. Right? The double terminology he uses here is sheid barer v'yitamet. It should become clear and it should be verified to himself, meaning to put it into implementation. It's not enough to just theoretically understand it, but to actually Put it into play. Put it into action in our daily basis. So let's give you a, a, a practical example. You know, I remember when I was a, a young yeshiva student and we learned about the terrible sin of disturbing someone's Torah study. So if someone is sitting and studying Torah, in Jewish beliefs, that is the most valuable thing you could possibly do with your time and with your life. Study Torah. There's nothing in the world that's more valuable than the study of Torah. So if you want to, even to be nice, you want to ask your friend something, and you interrupt their learning, it's a very, very terrible thing. Terrible. Why are you you're disturbing the greatest action a person can do 
you're disturbing that from 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 from. It's almost you know a similar idea. We know that you know all theft can be returned. You steal from someone, you can return. By the way, it's a mitzvah of the Torah to return it. So if you steal from someone uh, a pen, right? You, you go to someone's house and you steal a pen, or by mistake you took the pen. There's a mitzvah to go return it. Now it doesn't mean you have to humiliate yourself, right? You could just leave it in their mailbox. But you have to return it. You steal something, you have to return it. There's one type of theft, though, to say, just tell us that you cannot return. Sleep. Sleep. Time you can't, you can't, but you can. Because you can take away, you could, if they had something they needed to do, you could do it for them, and now they have that time, right? Okay. But sleep, you can never return. Can never return sleep. So it's, it's a very strong emphasis not to disturb someone's sleep. Because it's a theft that you cannot return. Stealing someone's Torah study is the worst thing. Just to wave at someone to say hi while they're studying Torah, you're interrupting them. Terrible. So now, as a yeshiva student, this is one of the challenges that we had because you have a good joke you want to tell the guy sitting at the end of your bench, right? But you see he's learning seriously. So you know it's a terrible thing. But you have that impulse, so that that urge, that desire to just, you know, crack a good joke. My grandfather would always tell us that a very good exercise, a very good exercise to becoming a servant of God and overcoming your habits is three times a day, for starters... Three times a day, overcome your impulse. Three times a day. So think of a, think of, a, of an impulse, okay? You're sitting at your desk, and uh, you're on the phone, and you're doing your work, right? And you say, you know, you like obviously it's like subconsciously you realize that you're very thirsty. You want to go get a drink. Okay, you know what? I'll wait two more minutes. I'll go get my drink in two minutes. Many times it's very difficult. We have that, that impulse. We want to go do something. You know what? I'm in control. You have that something you want to blurt out. You have some, some statement you want to make. No, I'll say it. One more minute. I'll say it. Just to hold yourself back three times a day. And that's a great tool to get a person to be in a place where they can overcome. So what's the, what's this exercise for? Why, why would this help someone? It would help someone because if you now have an opportunity to be arrogant, how are you going to be able to overcome yourself? Well, if you keep on practicing with silly things, like I'll go to the water or to the water uh, uh, fountain, I'll go in, in another 10 minutes. I want to take a sip of my coffee. I'll, I'll wait a little bit before I sip my, on my coffee. You know, I have, I, I, you know, I want to watch the game. The game is on right now. You know what? I'll turn it on in two minutes. Just to be able to withstand that urge, that immediate desire to do or, you know, I'll give you another example. Anybody here uh, heard of a, a, a store? 
right? It's you go on the computer and you type in, right? On the, on the Google, right? You type in, uh, A-M-A-Z-O-N, right? Have you ever heard of it? And then you press a dot. And then you do a C and an O and an M and you click the enter button. Familiar? Okay. And then two days later, whatever you ordered, boom, it's by your doorstep. So you're very excited. You get your package and you're like, wow, I'm very excited. This is what I've been waiting for. It's that whatever it is. Everyone has an impulse or an urge to open up that bag, right? You know what? I'm going to put it on my desk. I'll open it tomorrow. You know why? Because I'm in charge. It's not in charge. I'm in charge. Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, the great Rosh Hashiva of the Mir Yeshiva, would do that. One of his students came, he was walking in, he says, oh, you got mail. So he just put it down. The student's like, you're not going to open up the mail? I mean, you got mail. He says, if you want, you can open it. Me? I'm going to wait till tomorrow to open it. He was very excited about this. He was, he was, he really was, he was anticipating this letter coming, but now he's going to wait another day. Why? Who's in charge? Am I in charge over my impulse? Or is my impulse in charge over me? It's this, it's this idea of the mind versus the heart. The heart gets excited. It's emotional. He wants to do something. The intellect says, eh, 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 eh. Who's in charge? You know, it, it reminds me, we say in the, in the prayers every day, is a joke, they say. How do the, the Gentiles, how do they travel the world? How do they travel the world? I'll tell you how they travel the world. Open up King David's Psalms. Okay, Psalm number 115. So he says like this, Ele Borechev, Ve'ele Basusim. He says, you know how the, 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 um, how the, uh, the Gentiles travel, how they travel the world? They travel with chariots and some with horses. Right? Some get on planes and some go in, 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 in cars and some go many different ways into by train. They travel many different ways. But you know how us, how us Jews, you know, how we travel. All we need to do is open up the prayer book and we travel the world. Right? We start praying and suddenly we're thinking, you know what? It would be a really great idea. I wish I was in England right now. I remember Buckingham Palace. How about the Eiffel Tower? Right? Well, I'm in the middle of praying, right? The immediate, what happens is as soon as you open up that prayer book, suddenly our brain starts wandering. You open up a page of Talmud. You want to dream? Anybody here have a hard time sleeping? Yeah? You have a hard time sleeping? Open up a Talmud. You'll fall asleep right away. Guaranteed. <laughs> Open up a Talmud. You know why? Because the Yetzahara prefers you learn, you go to sleep, then learn Talmud. Right? Because you'll be so inspired by the Talmud. He says, you know what? Not a good idea. Right? Reverse course. Go to sleep. It's fine. I'm not going to bother you anymore. <laughs> Now I'm telling you. Think of it from his perspective, from the Yetzirah, from our evil inclination. Right? Obviously, that's not the real understanding of that verse. Right? But 
it's something they used to tell us in yeshiva. You know, us yeshiva students, yeah, all we need to do to start traveling the world is open up a page of Talmud. <laughs> Suddenly you're sitting there and you're like thinking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're going all over the world. All over the world you're traveling, right? The mind versus the heart. Who's going to win that battle? Once you start immersing your mind into a focused activity, your heart starts dreaming up ideas and sending you thoughts. So I remember I asked one of my rabbis, I said, how do you control it? She said, have a piece of paper and a pen. It's like if you run a business, this happens frequently. You run a business, you run an organization, you have a, any, any, any types of responsibility. Suddenly, as soon as you start learning, you start thinking, oh, I forgot, I have to, you need dish soap. And uh, you start thinking about, uh, you have to repair something on the roof. And yeah, I'll take care of that right now. No, 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 no. In the middle of studying Torah, write it down on a piece of paper. And after you, and then go back to learn. Right? Something else comes to disturb you, just write it on a piece of paper and continue learning. Right? So you don't, you're not going to forget it. Right? And nine out of ten times you realize it was just the Yetzirah who was just trying to bait you. Right? Again, that's the struggle that we constantly face in our lives. So he says like this, what has to become clear? What has to become real to a person aside for these challenges, aside for these two forces? Ma chobato ba'olamo. What is man's responsibility in his world? We mentioned this, we touched on this a little bit last week. Every single one of us is unique. Right? Show me your finger a second. Show me your finger. Yeah. Everyone have a finger? Finger? Right? Do you know that every single person on the entire planet has a different fingerprint? Right? Just ask Apple. Right? Every single person has a different finger. There are no two people who have the same fingerprint. You are unique, and you are the only you there will ever be on this earth. That's it. You're the only one. Now, do you think God just put you here with all of your talents, with all of your skills, with all of your abilities, with all of your background, with all of your knowledge, with all of your capabilities, God just put you here to be just like everybody else? No, you're unique. You're special. You're the only addition of you there will ever be. There's a specific task that God has for each and every one of us. Ah, what is that task? What is that task? Machovato, what is your obligation? Be'olamo, in your world. We each have our own unique world. It's true. And this is uh, something I remember hearing from my grandfather. He says, one of the great anomalies of our existence is that you have your own world. Your fellow has their own world, right? Every person has their own world. And yet we're convinced that we're in the same world because we can intercommunicate between those worlds. But the truth is, is you are your own world, your own little bubble. Not in a selfish way, of course. But you are in your own little bubble in that you have your own set of responsibilities that you were brought into this world for. Think of your childhood experiences. Think of your education. 
Think of your parents. Think of your siblings. Think of your neighborhood, your friends, your synagogue. All of your life experiences that you had are guiding you to accomplish something unique that only you can fulfill in this world and that nobody else can fulfill like you can. You're the only you. You have a special task that only you can fulfill. And that, the Ramchal tells us, is our obligation to make it very clear to ourselves. What is that responsibility? What is that role we need to play in our life? It's an interesting uh, exercise. And it's a little bit scary at times. People say, I'm not sure I want to know. It's it's frightening. But guess what? It's the most empowering thing you will ever experience. Knowing why God put you on this earth. It's, It's thrilling. To find out, you know what? God put me here for a very, very, very good reason. He really loves me. He really wants me to succeed. Now i got a job to do. And anything that comes in your way is a distraction. Yetzirah is throwing stumbling blocks in front of you, trying to stop you from accomplishing your perfection. What is your perfection? Now we have another seven years to discuss. Right? It's not going to be in one night. At least seven years. No, we have, we have the Ramchal, we'll talk about it. He'll guide us and we'll, we'll have many other. That's what we do on Muslim Mondays, trying to figure out what is, what is the secret code to this maze called life? And each one of us has a different code. And each one of us has a different, a different task to fulfill. Ulamat Sarich. So now that we're trying to make it clear to each of us individually, what our responsibilities are in our very own world. And to what a person must put his full focus and attention on throughout his life and through all of his toil. Imagine someone's responsibility in this world is to is to be charitable. To be charitable. So God will succeed their way so that they're able to uh, be charitable. Wrong. Maybe God wants them to be charitable when they don't have. You see, we associate, well, why did God give this person success? So that they should give. That's very possible for them. But for me, maybe God wants me to give when I don't have. Maybe God, right, someone else could be overcoming their anger. And God will send them curveball after curveball opportunities to get angry. And their job is to overcome that anger. And to another person, it could be to study Torah diligently, without interruption. Each one of us has a task that we are on this world for. And we're convinced we're primed from when we're children. From when we're children. You're going to get a good job. You're going to have a career. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. Right? And if all fails, 
You might be an accountant. <laughs> and if even that isn't good, guess what? You'll have to be a rabbi. Right? <laughs> you know. You know, it's like these, these, these women in Connecticut, in Greenwich, Connecticut, they're talking about their children. So one says, you know, my son is a doctor. The other one says, you know, my son is a lawyer. Like, wow. What does your son do? It's a rabbi. What happened? <laughs> so, you know, everyone is here for a different purpose. But we're primed to believe that we're here to get a career and we're here to have a very specific, you know, and if not, then either you're not a success or, you know, just whole idea just for a second. People talk about, oh, you know, that very successful, very successful, right? You, you know, very successful. What is successful? See, the world is so corrupt that we think that success equals dollar signs. Do we know if they're a good father? Do we know if that maybe should be what success is? Are they a good husband? Maybe that's success? Are they a good boss? I mean, we know many people who are, you know, these these uh, tech moguls. Very bad character traits. Awful character traits. And that's what we're calling successful. They can be on the cover of every magazine. It doesn't make a difference. Bad bidot, bad traits. I'll say this because I, I feel that it's important for us to learn. But today, you know, most people have Apple products. Was that built on good midot, on good character traits? Well, was there ethics in the development of it? Good characteristics? Yet the world is looking up at these people as like, wow, these are the successes of the world. Got to be very careful before we define success as someone who has money. Success is someone who's a good father, who's a good, a good child, someone who worked on themselves, someone who changed and became a better person. That's success. There's a lot to talk about here. But we have to remember that every person is put here with certain talents and certain skills and needs to focus their entire lives on accomplishing success in that area. But I'm gonna, I want to just share with you a, a frightening. I, I say that many of us have Gilgulim within our own lives, right? We have different different phases in our life, and the same challenges come back again and again. A very dear friend of mine, uh, I met him uh, a few years back uh, at a, at a conference. And he had recently gotten divorced. So I said, so how are things going? And you know, she says, you know, I actually read an article. I've shared this here before. I read an article recently that um, frightened me, he says. So what, 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 what is it? He says, it said in the article that they did tremendous research and they found that people who got divorced and then remarried 
in their second marriage, they had the exact same problems they had in the first marriage. And he says, I was considering starting dating again, but I'm terrified. I don't want to get into the same situation I had last time. And I said to him, why do you think they have the same problems? He said, you know why? Because you don't change. If you don't change, you'll have the same problems. Right? Your wife is a reflection of you. So if you don't fix yourself and fix your problems, it's not going to change. So you get married, it might be a different face, but your problems are still going to be your problems. And at the end of the day, you'll be stuck with the same exact issues. The same ones that plagued you the first time will plague you the second time. So you can save yourself the cost of a wedding, you can save yourself the cost of a divorce, and you can just work on the problem the first time. It's a little, it's a frightening, frightening idea. But yes, we, we, it's very easy. It's like, you know, the, the, the matrix. You have this, uh, the red pill and you have the blue pill. And you can take one and you'll never think about it again. You're living in oblivion and go shopping all day and do live whatever life you want. Or you're going to go through a, uh, a rough patch where you're going to have to learn the challenges of life. And things aren't the way they seem. And when you see success, you will be able to see right through it. It's not exactly success. We're living in a world that's that's alluring. And and uh, the Yetzirah is cunning. And he is doing everything he can to show us a, a glamorous world out there where everyone's happy. I remember there was a, uh, a Hollywood couple that was once getting divorced after they were together for 11 years. They announced that they're getting divorced. And I remember I was walking with a, a, a righteous person. It was a radio that was on on the street, you know, one of the cars who we were walking past us in Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, we heard that uh, this couple was getting divorced after 11 years. She so says, 11 years is pretty good. I thought they'd get divorced after two years. Where after two months, 11 years, must be they weren't even in the same house or in the same, right? <laughs> you know, it's like you wonder. And those are the examples of what, you know, you think is a big problem. I should, I will tell you that today couples are facing serious challenges because their ideas of what a great romantic relationship should be with in their spouse, which what har- peace and harmony should be, is what they've seen on movies. But those are all fake. And they always lived happily ever after. Well, guess what? In the real life, there are challenges. In the real life, there are struggles. In the real life, you're going to have to work through issues. You're going to have to talk through issues. You're going to have to fix problems. You're going to have to apologize. You're going to have to work through a lot of things that, you know, many people say, you know what? I'm done with this. Leave me alone. I'm out. It's, 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 it's a terrifying world. You know that there's, there's this, there's this trend in the world. Instead of fixing, fixing a phone, your phone falls and breaks. 
Instead of fixing it, just buy a new one. Right? Your car gets a, a big dent. Why fix it? Just trade it in and get a new one. So when your marriage has a problem, why fix it? Just get a new one. <laughs> it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a frightening trend that people aren't willing to work on things. At the end of the day, we can run away from all of our problems, but they won't get fixed on their own. Where Amchal is telling us here, we have to know why we are here. Otherwise, we're chasing after oblivion. We think, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to drink a Coke and that's going to make me happy. It doesn't do it. I'm going to go get some pizza. That doesn't either fulfill me. I'll go to the movies. That doesn't either fulfill me. I'm going to try race cars. That's not either going to fulfill me. I'm going to try, we try all of these things to try to fulfill our soul that's yearning for something fulfilling. It doesn't fulfill us. Till we find what it is that does quench that thirst. And we'll see in a minute what that is. Now, what does every single human being, what does every single human being crave? No matter where they're from. What is every single human being? Is, is no human being who doesn't desire this. Ready? Pleasure. Pleasure. Do you know why God created you actually? For pleasure. God created you so that you have pleasure. The only question that we're going to, we're going to run into now is what is pleasure? And if we don't define what, what pleasure is, you can go through all of Hollywood. All people think that they have pleasure. You can go through all of, uh, you know, uh, Vegas and people who are, who think that they're, they're experiencing pleasure. You can go anywhere in the world and people, that's what every single human being desires, pleasure. And you know, well, happiness is a pleasure. We're all pleasure seekers. But here's the problem. We don't know what pleasure is. So we get very easily caught on to fake pleasures, counterfeit pleasures. Counterfeit pleasures are very, very easy. It's not so difficult to, to fall into the trap of counterfeit pleasures. Base pleasures. Food is an example, right? Food is a good example. We all need to eat food. Might as well taste good, right? And eat lots of it, right? We love food. It brings us a level of pleasure, but it's counterfeit pleasure, right? Anybody here like potato chips? So I've shared here many times, I love potato chips. What type? Anybody know? Nice. Barbecue. Barbecue potato chips. I love barbecue potato chips. Right? Don't get any ideas. I'm going on a diet now, so thank you. Right? Um, I love barbecue potato chips. But we all know that if you open up a bag of potato chips and you're like, oh, this is so delicious. Take one chip after another chip after another chip after another chip. Finally, you're at the end of the bag and you're sick to your stomach. Right? Yes. So is that the pleasure we're seeking? Why would there be such a bad after effect to something which is so pleasurable? Well, maybe it's counterfeit pleasure. Is there any type of pleasure that doesn't leave us drained? Is there any type of pleasure that does not 
impair our abilities to drive, impair our abilities to thrive, impair our, impair our, our abilities to be sensible. I mean, yeah, there are people who think that drinking alcohol is very pleasurable. So they drink as much as they can till they don't know what they're, what they're drinking anymore. And it's same with any other type of base pleasure. But the Torah is very, very aware of this. And the Torah tells us what pleasure is. What is pleasure? Relationship with Hashem. The greatest form of pleasure on planet Earth is being in a relationship with God. That is, by the way, all of your pleasures, all of the other pleasures, the counterfeit ones, start becoming significant pleasures because God says, you know what? I want Shabbos to be a day where we bond. So what does God say? When we bond and we have that spiritual, pleasurable relationship, you know what I want you to do? I want you to get to get the best foods, right? So they begin, then it's not just food. It's not just food. It's food. They say that um, one of the great, uh, great uh, Tanaic sages once uh, once invited a um, a minister, a non not a minister, but someone from the government, uh, over to his house to eat. They were friends. And uh, he came on a Tuesday. The food was okay. The next time, the next time, the next time he invited him, he invited him to join him for Shabbos. So he says, isn't this the same food you gave me last time? He says, it's the same dish. He says, but this time it's so much better. It's because now we have something magical. It's called Shabbos. Shabbos is a different ingredient. I can give you the ingredient of how I make this dish, but if it doesn't have the Shabbos in it, right? It, 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 cooking that same dish on Tuesday will not be the same. Shabbos is something special. The, 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 the pleasure of Shabbos is that we have a time where we don't have any of these distractions. We don't have anything else pulling us in any other direction. This is a time where we focus on our relationship with God. This is a time where we remove all of our our other pleasurable urges, move them aside, and focus on the real one, on, on the authentic pleasure. And that is our relationship with God. Does anybody here ever have any form of anxiety or stress, right, or worry, Right? We, we all have, I don't know, am I going to be able to close my month? I don't know. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay the insurance bill? How am I going to take care of this? How am I going to take care of that? We all have worries. But we've repeated this numerous times. Hashem li lo yira. If we have Hashem with us, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. It's like a child who's afraid. When do they stop being afraid? When they're in their parents' arms. When they're in their parents' arms, they have nothing to fear. They know their parents are protecting them. We're wandering around this world, and we're afraid. We don't know what's going to be with the Jewish people. We don't know what's going to be with the state of Israel. We don't know what's going to be with terrorism. 
We don't know what's going to be with the economy. We don't know what's going to be with anything that's going on in the world. But if we're in Hashem's arms, we have nothing to worry about. Oh, so now the question is, how do we get into Hashem's arms? Right? How do we create that relationship so that we're there? Okay, that's a task. It's an important task. But imagine how tragic it would be if someone spent their whole lives, if a person spent their whole lives, right, of investing in, in an area, and then when they're 95 years old, they suddenly have an epiphany. You know something? I was supposed to be uh I was supposed to be a carpenter, instead I was a mechanic. Right? With carpenter, I could have I could have created such magnificent things. I could have, you know. Think of whatever it is. They went the whole wrong wrong path. On a spiritual level, it's much more significant. They say, I, I, I haven't seen so many people in such a situation, but they say that on a deathbed, no one has ever said, I wish I spent more time in the office. Usually what people would say is, I wish I spent more time with my family. And yet, where do people spend their time? In the office. Why? You know, there was like a story with a, a fisherman. So this very, very wealthy man goes down to the to the uh, riverside, and he sees a simple man on a small little boat. You know, with a fishing rod. And he catches a fish, and he's all excited. Takes the fish, and this this guy is sitting in his yacht. And he's, he's looking. So he tells the guy, he says, I, I don't understand you. You're such a great fisherman. Why don't you uh, buy a bigger boat? He says, for what? He says, then you'll catch more fish. He says, and then what? And then you'll make more money. He says, and then what? He says, and then you'll be able to sell your company. He says, and then what? He says, then you'll be able to retire and go fishing. You know, it's like, it, it's, he says, he's doing that now. You know, think about it. People say, you know what, I have to go get a career. Why do you need to go get a career? So I can provide for my family. Okay, so why don't you start with the family first? No, 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 no. I first have to have enough money so that I can afford marriage. And then have enough money so that I can afford children. And then have enough money so I can afford to pay for their college tuition. And when everything is set in place, then I'll get married. Then I'll, by that time, it, it could it could be too late. People think it's all about me. It's much easier. Just let God handle it. You're not the first genius to show up on planet Earth. God's taken care of billions and billions and billions of people before us. And he'll take care of many, many more after us. Hashem provides for every single human being in miraculous ways. Everyone ate breakfast today? Uh, everyone had lunch today? Everyone had dinner today? Look at that. Amazing. How? Everyone had their own miracle. Right? It's an amazing thing. You think about that. Think about the entire world. How many meals were served today? Billions and billions and billions of meals. Hashem takes care of every single one of his creations. You don't think he can handle a problem or two of yours? Hashem can handle any issues. But are we ready to let go? That's the question. The minute we're ready to let go of those fears and let Hashem worry for it, 
See, the problem is, why do we care? Why do we have that worry? Why do we have that anxiety? Because we want to find a solution. And we want to succeed. We want to make sure that we're successful. You know what? Hashem can lead us to that success. But just let go. Stop worrying about it. We worry so much. No need to worry. Put it in Hashem's hands. I, I, I urge everyone to read the book, uh, The Garden of Amuna. Great, fantastic book. I'm actually considering starting a class in it. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Cohen had a class in the Garden of Amuna in uh, Sugarland, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very successful. And I think we need to maybe do one here at the Tour Center as well. But it's it's so fundamental because we don't realize how much that relationship is so near to us. It's so easy for us to get into that relationship. But the problem is we get caught up with so many distractions. So many things carry us away from just simply connecting with Hashem. There's no greater pleasure on earth than a relationship with Hashem. We'll see this right here. Now, what our sages of blessed memory have taught us is that mankind was created only to take to take pleasure, only to take pleasure. What type of pleasure? Take pleasure in Hashem. And to benefit from the radiance of his Shechina, of his divine presence. That's not referring to in some uh, holy, uh, in a holy place out in who knows where. Right? You don't have to be sitting by the Western Wall to be all holy. You can be right here in Houston, Texas, in the Torch Center, or on the new deck at the Torch Center. And to be in a holy place. It's, it's, it's easier and much more, uh, much more accessible than we can imagine. And listen to this. Shizehu hataanug haamiti. For this is the true pleasure. The true delight. All the other ones are counterfeit pleasures. They're fleeting. They leave you empty after. They leave you feeling down sometimes. You want to have a real, authentic pleasure? And is the greatest pleasure of all pleasures that can possibly exist. <coughs> There's no pleasure in the entire world that is greater and the pleasure of our relationship with God. Nothing. For that is the world that was created with the design necessary for this purpose. Okay? Oh, sorry, I skipped. 
Where is the place where we have this ultimate pleasure? The true place for this greatest pleasure is the world to come. Shehu hanivra for that is the world that was created with the design necessary for this purpose. So there is a place where we're going to have that ultimate connection with God. It's there in the world to come. So what is this world then? So maybe in this world, this world should be a world where we get whatever we can get and that's it. Maybe. So Ramchal will tell us otherwise. Ramchal will guide us onto the path of how we attain that greatness. You see, there are many things that a person can do. You know, I, I, I've said this numerous times uh, here in Muslim Mondays, but I'll share, share this with you. You know, we have something called a neshama. What's a neshama? Soul. Neshama is a soul. So let me give you an example. Anybody here have ever have a vacuum cleaner? A vacuum cleaner? Mm-hmm. Right? You know how a vacuum cleaner works? It's suction, right? It tries to pull in all the... Now, what is it really going for? Dirt. Right? So you take the vacuum cleaner, you put it on the floor, and little particles of dust and of, 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 of dirt or of uh, pretzels... Right, and then you scoop scoop them up with the with the with the nozzle of the uh, of the uh, vacuum cleaner, right? And it's delicious. That sound with going through the nozzle is like beautiful. Okay, it's working. So now, what is a soul? A soul, a lofty soul, called an neshama. That every Jew has. You know what that neshama is? It is a vacuum cleaner. And you know what its food is? Not garbage. Not pretzels. Spirituality. Holiness. Now what happens if you feed that vacuum cleaner uh, gym? You feed that vacuum cleaner food. Does it get satiated? No, it wants spirituality. It wants holiness. You try to feed it fashion. Doesn't go. Try to feed it movies. Doesn't go. Try to feed it music. Doesn't go. It doesn't fulfill it. It's still hungry. You ever, you ever see a nozzle of a, of a vacuum cleaner, right? You leave go of it for a second and then it grabs the tablecloth or grabs your, your, your pants, right? Grabs something and it's sucking it in. What, what do you want? Just sit quietly over there and relax, right? No, no, no. So you got to feed me. I need something. I need some dirt. Right? That's our soul. You ever wonder why Jews are always extremists? Why Jews? Think of all extremists in every area of the world, in every profession, in everything. It's always Jews. Good, bad, and ugly. Think of Houdini and magic, right? You think of the the greatest uh, Swiss bank thieves, right? You think of uh, you know you think of any extremist, they're always Jews. Karl Marx, Einstein, Einstein, Einstein right? Madoff, 
right? <laughs> you, you think, think about it. Think about it. All the great scientists. Why are they all Jewish? You know why? Because they have that neshama. And if it's not fed spirituality, it goes bonkers. And it doesn't stop. It needs to be fed. It needs to be fed. And nothing satiates it except for spirituality and holiness, authentic spirituality. You know, there was once an Israeli, you know, Israelis, they, they do a lot of interesting things after they finish the army. So usually they go to the Far East. <laughs> And they're seeking, they're searching, it's, you know. So one of them once came to the Dalai Lama. It's a true story. This person today, you'll, you'll hear in a second what, what happened to him. But he comes to the Dalai Lama and he says to him, I can help you. He says, I, I want a blessing. She says, tell me a little bit about yourself. He says, well, I'm from Israel. He says, you're, you're Jewish? He says, yeah, I'm Jewish. He says, and you're coming to me? He says, Go back. He says, your tradition is far greater. You guys are the real deal. Go to your own heritage. Don't come to me. This guy grew up completely secular in Israel. Went back and went to yeshiva. And today's a rabbi. He was seeking, seeking, seeking. His, his soul was yearning for something to fulfill it. Doesn't find anything. Doesn't find it till it finds the right Anecdote till it finds the right the till it finds the right medicine that pleases it. The Talmud says, "Barati lo yetzahara, barati lo Torah tovim." I created for mankind a yetzahara. You know what I created as its cure? Created the Torah. The Torah is the guide. The Torah guides us to that path of what we're seeking in this world. Right? We're seeking pleasure. That's what we're here for. And that is what the Torah guides us to. We think about Shabbos. We think at all about the mitzvot. Every single mitzvah. We have a wonderful set of books over here in the Don Levitt Family Library. The top right shelf, third to top. Third to the top. It's called the Book of Mitzvot, where the author of the Chinuch gives the reasoning, the rationalization for each mitzvah. God gives us 613 mitzvahs. You might wonder why. Why so many? Why do we need so many mitzvahs? Because we are obsessed with pleasure. And each one of these 613 mitzvahs correspond to a different part of our body in making them holy, in making them fulfill their spiritual connection to God. We have 613 commandments, 365 negative or prohibitive commandments, and 248 uh, um, performative commandments. And each one, the 248, correspond to the bones and the limbs of the body. And the 365 correspond to the sinews and muscles of the body. In the performance of each one of those mitzvot, the positive and the negative, we're purifying and bringing that part of our body closer to God. It's an unbelievable tool that we have. That's the Torah. We can't get there without the study of Torah. 
So we all have a, a, a rightful desire for pleasure. And that desire is not from a bad place. It's from a good place. We have to know how to harness that desire for pleasure. We have to know how to channel it properly. Not to push it aside. Not to say, oh, it's evil. Pleasure is a terrible thing. No. Pleasure is a great thing. That's what we're here for. But authentic pleasure, not counterfeit pleasure. And we're in an entire world that is completely immersed in counterfeit pleasures. The whole world. Just look at the, tonight, the, the saints are playing, right? They're playing football, right? The whole, that whole, look at the advertisements, look at all the cool, everything that's going on over there. It's one big fantasy, counterfeit pleasure world. It's fake. And the, the, it, what's amazing is that they only play during the weekends. So you wonder, this is probably the, they're, they're, Closed down for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Just, you know, it's like, what are they going to do the rest of the time? There's no more games. Oh, they're busy. They're busy. Are you kidding? They they have projections and they have they have uh, they take votes. Who's going to win? And they have uh, you know, it's like it's it's a whole fantasy existence. And they're busy. The pundits. They're they're busy. You know. Discuss, yeah, discussing nothing. You're not going to become a better person from it. You're not going to be more fulfilled from it. You're not going. And you know they say that they, that when you um, when you buy a product, so there's a certain stimulation in your brain, the dopamine in your brain that gets stim- stimulated when you when you purchase this product. And studies show that that dopamine lasts. Not even till you get to your car. Right? It's, it's an exhilarating thrill that you get. It doesn't even last till you get to your car. So you want to get that thrill again. So what do you have to do? Go shop again. Or you can just come to tor- Torch and learn. And then the thrill lasts at least for an hour and hopefully for longer than that. For a lifetime, for eternity. So it, it, it is really a, a, a responsibility that we have, that we have this choice. Are we going to take that blue pill? Are we going to take that red pill? Are we going to take the choice that is going to be a rocky road? It'll be, you know what, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have to correct them and we're going to have to do the best we can do. But ultimately we go up that, that down escalator. Or do we just say, you know what, I give up, and we just stay on that escalator and end up wherever we end up. And never rise. Never elevate ourselves. Ramchal is giving us here a great outlook. That we are here for pleasure, and that ultimate pleasure is right there for us to attain it. First step is understanding that we are going to need to put our entire life focus on that target. That doesn't mean you quit your job. That doesn't mean that now you turn all everything over into a no no no. But it's your it's your goal. You'll get there eventually. 
right? You don't become a, a, uh, a pilot overnight. You set your goal and you, you work hard to save up money for it, take the courses, take the tests, do the practicing, do that, till you get there. It could take three, four, five, six years. God is patient. He says, we want to build this relationship. It could take four, five, six years. But it, but it has to be our goal to build that relationship. To be in a place of ultimate pleasure. So, any questions? None at all. An easy crowd. We're going to stop here tonight. I want to thank you all. Next week, God willing, we'll continue from Ach Haderach. Have a magnificent evening, everybody. Drive safely. Have a terrific evening, everybody. You've been listening to the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, a Torch production. Become a supporter at torchweb.org because your assistance enables more Torah learning around the globe. To find more lessons offered by Torch, please visit torchpodcasts.com.